Hi, everyone. I am Emily Landers, and this is How'd She Do That? A podcast answering that question each episode. Welcome, you guys. I'm so happy that you are tuning in for today's very special episode with my friend, Carrie Colbert. You guys are going to love this conversation. But before we dive in, I wanted to give you all a little bit of an update. We have had so many fun things happening over here at the podcast, specifically the Southern Sea Summit in Sea Island. Say that 15 times (laughs) Fast. If you are following us over on How'd She Do That podcast on Instagram or my personal account at Emily Landers, you will know that I am just back from the Southern Sea Summit as well as um, weekend in Cabo in Mexico. But I am so excited to unpack all of the different takeaways that I brought home with me from the conference. If you all listened to our special bonus episode before Lil's McKenna's episode last week, which by the way, Oh my gosh, she was amazing, and so many of you have reached out sharing how much you enjoyed her episode, but we did a bonus episode before I headed out to the conference sharing my hopes and expectations and really why I was going after an invitation from an upcoming podcast guest, Caroline, at LCB Style, recommended, hey, you should come, you should join in. So the hope was really to figure out, okay, how can I make, how'd she do that podcast a business? How is this something that I can do moving forward? And you guys know I share all of the behind the scenes in this to hopefully encourage you as you're stepping into whatever entity, whatever business, whatever idea it is that you have, and we're in this together. So that's why I share the behind the scenes. We'll definitely do a bonus episode in regard to the conference. Perhaps send me any questions you might have, and we will review those shortly. And as I say, I I really have been honing in on, okay, how can I make this podcast a business? What can this look like? And my wheels were spinning after speaking with Carrie. I am so eager for you all to get to know her, hear her story. You're really going to enjoy it. Here is Carrie Colbert on How'd She Do That? Today's guest Carrie Colbert is an investor and entrepreneur who is empowering female founders to accelerate their paths to success through her company, Curate Capital. After a 17-year career in the energy industry, including leadership positions in engineering, finance, investor relations, and strategic planning, Carrie left the corporate world behind to start her next professional chapter. Carrie's passions lie at the intersection of creative pursuits and business acumen. In addition to being a digital content creator, Carrie invests in female entrepreneurs and female-driven companies by providing capital, mentorship, and more. As the founding and general partner at Curate Capital, Carrie strategically sources and scopes deals, advises on macro-level strategic planning, and provides her marketing ideas and insights. With a proven track record of driving results, Carrie is a sought-after speaker, mentor, and advisor. When Carrie isn't speaking on professional panels, overseeing her team's investments, or making the world a more colorful place, she is likely spending time with her family which includes her husband and two children in Houston, Texas. Carrie, welcome to How'd She Do That? Emily, thanks so much for having me. And wow, thanks for that warm welcome. (laughs) Well, I am so happy that you're here. I I shared this before we started recording, um, but you come highly suggested from my listeners. So there's a lot of people who are excited to hear from you today. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Well, I'm excited to chat with you and, you know, talk about all things entrepreneurial uh, things and, and investing things and and really just uh, get down into the nitty gritty with you. Oh, well, I'm excited. I'm excited to unpack quite a bit of your story because there are pieces of it that I'm piecing together and kind of putting together. Uh, but to get to know you and, and one thing I just want to highlight before we started recording that you shared and I love is your passion for, for bringing entrepreneurs to a place that they can kind of understand all that you're doing at Curate Capital, empowering women, women inspiring them and so right off the bat, I'm like, 
this is going to be good. I'm excited. I'm ready to go. It's so fun. Thank you. Well, as you know, and and you have listened to some of our episodes, you know that it's always fun for us to just kind of dive in. Uh, And I love to start at the beginning with my guests, thinking about perhaps maybe you could tell us where did you go to school and what did you ultimately major in? Sure. Well, I'm from a very small town in the Texas panhandle. If you're not from Texas, basically that means I lived in the middle of nowhere, Uh, (laughs) you know, two hours to the nearest airport, two hours to the nearest mall, you know, all those sorts of things. So middle of nowhere, small town, uh, graduated at the top of my class. And, you know, when you're from a small town and I was the first in my family to go to college and and you're good at math and science, your high school counselor says, well, you might want to study engineering. Okay. (laughs) And, and then there's one engineer in town. And so you speak with him and he says, well, you know, I'm a petroleum engineer. You might want to look into petroleum engineering at at UT. And, And so I did, and that's where I got the best scholarships. And so I went to UT in Austin, University of Texas Mm -hmm. and studied petroleum engineering, graduated at the top of my class um, with a 3.98 GPA. I had to be the first semester. And, you know, I thought my world was ending (laughs) and life as I knew it was over. But um, thankfully, I I rallied for the next four years and, um, you know, got all A's from there on out. Um, But, you know, total nerd, um, studied hard, graduated, and then accepted a job here in Houston uh, with an oil and gas company. And so, you know, for the the start of my career, you know, from, from school on, it was all very pragmatic, right? My decisions were very practical in nature. Mm. Where can I get the most scholarships? Where can I get the best job? And, you know, how can I provide for myself? So, you know, I certainly didn't come from any sort of affluent background or privileged background necessarily. Um, and, you know, was just working hard to make the most out of life. Mm. Is that something, I mean, right off the bat, it's fun because you just shared a real left brain kind of lifestyle almost of necessity and, and moving into math and science and gosh, even heading to UT straight after high school. Um, and then to know what you do now and to see <laughs> even your creative side, whoa, I'm already, I'm already excited about how this turns out. Uh, but tell us this because I'm really curious when you went to school and you just shared it was really necessity to to step into your role. Were you excited about engineering? What were did you find it fun? What, what did that look like? <laughs> yeah, good question. I, you know, I, I joke now that I use the word fun when I talk about my work a lot now, but I can't <laughs> say that I use the word fun a lot when I think back to engineering or engineering school. I mean, I was good at it. I wouldn't consider myself passionate about it. Hmm. I am thankful for that education because I do think it really teaches you how to problem solve and process data and and think in a very you know logical structured manner. Mm-hmm. And so I'm forever grateful for that education. In fact, I'm I'm going back to Austin this week. I'm still very involved uh, with the College of Engineering at UT. I, wow. I sit on the executive advisory board, and um, as you can imagine, I, I stand out in that group. Um, <laughs> you know, with with all due respect, it's it's mostly a room of you know uh, older uh, yes. gentlemen. Um, yes. and so yeah, colorful carry kind of stands out. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I, I certainly enjoy, um, you know, being able to give back in some way to the school, but yeah, so everything was very, you know, practical in nature, but I will say the creative roots go way back. This is a story I don't tell often. Oh. Um, not many people know this, but when I first graduated from school, I worked for a company called Anadarko. So engineer by day, but the creative spirit still wanted to come out. Right. And so at night, um, I was a scrapbooker and I kid you not, this was about 20 plus years ago at this point. And and scrapbooking went through a a cool period. Um, (laughs) You know, some people still do it, but I have to, you know, defend myself here. We're not talking about the cheesy, you know, um, uh, version of scrapbooking, (laughs) but there's kind of the modern memory keeping, right? Like very graphic design oriented, very, you know, um, appealing to the eye. And so I went through this, um, stretch where I was very into, you know, crafting and the the scrapbooking world. In fact, here's where it gets even better. Um, in the, you know, same spirit of today where I have way too much on my plate. I was an engineer by day <laughs> and and professional scrapbooker by night. So there were scrapbooking magazines at the time. And in fact, Better Homes and Gardens had one. And so oh, I God. had um I was an editor for Better Homes and Gardens. And <laughs> oh, you know, God. yeah. So I had a, a monthly column in their scrapbook magazine and you know wrote about that every month. And so, um, yeah, it's funny because at that point in time, I think, you know, I graduated from, from undergrad in a completely different millennium. So, um, you got to remember I'm, I'm talking 20 years ago, but at that point in time, you really could have, you know, a dichotomy between your 
professional life and personal life. And, wow. and I guarantee you that no one at the oil and gas company I worked for knew that I had this like <laughs> crazy creative bent and that I was like scrapbooking and writing magazine columns at night. You know, you very oh. much could keep the parts of you separate. Oh. Oh. And I think that's something that has certainly changed. I mean, no longer can you segment your life into, you know, hey, this is my work persona. This is my personal persona. You know, there's just you now, you know, with right. the internet and with social media and everything. Um, but, you know, I won't go down that rabbit trail right now, but <laughs> but it, I definitely kind of had this double life going on. Uh, but I say all that to say that some of um, my followers today and some of uh, people who have become investors with me really go back to those scrapbooking days. And wow. so it's funny that, you know, I don't have the the biggest uh, social media following necessarily, but I have the most loyal long-term followers. And yeah. um, what I was going to say, the humorous part is that, you know, a lot of them will say, Carrie, I can still see the common thread from your scrapbook pages. And then I went through a phase where I was very much into fashion. And now the companies I invest in, you always have wow. this colorful, you know, very happy, joyous, you know, look to everything you did. And so it's been neat to see that, you know, common thread run throughout all these different endeavors that I've been involved in. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that insight because you guys, we're going to get to know Carrie even better. And for those of you who are listening from the scrapbooking days, how fun <laughs> is it to hear Carrie's version and, and thoughts around that season? And I love that you shared that because I do. I find it so interesting knowing what you majored in, knowing what you stepped into out of school. I, I was looking for that could, because now I see you and I see all that you're doing and the creative side seems to be so heavy. So to hear that mm -hmm. there was a way that that was still in, in your life and, and being practiced uh, right off the bat. I'm like, that is so cool. Yes, now, yes. now tell us this because it's always interesting to hear how long uh, my guests stayed within, within that given role kind of after school. And I know you have a, a large chunk and season of life actually in the energy industry and, and leadership positions. Tell us a little bit, what, what did it look like for you to, to start and then actually stay in that industry for, for quite some time? Sure. Yes, I was in that industry for almost 20 years. And wow. so when I first graduated from college, I went to work for one big company. And I worked, um, it, you know, the, the Houston area well enough to know there's a, a little community called the Woodlands. It's very picturesque. Yes. And, and I actually lived within walking distance of my, my company. And, uh -huh. and, you know, so I, I had this nice little lifestyle. I was content. Mm -hmm. But um, after about five years, I was heavily recruited uh, to a a private uh, oil and gas company that was located downtown. It was more on the smaller uh, end of, of the spectrum at the time, privately held, known to be very aggressive, um, you know, very entrepreneurial in nature, very um, much, you know, required a lot of work hours, a lot of effort. Um, you know, it was known, had that reputation. Mm. And they really, really tried to recruit me. And I pushed back a lot and said, no, I'm good. I'm good. I've got this <laughs> nice little lifestyle. I walk to work you know, work my engineering day and then I go home and scrapbook and, you know, whatever else I did. I don't know. <sighs> but, um, but, but frankly, I was, I was enough intrigued by this notion um, that they had at this company where you had a piece of ownership in the company and you had, mm. you know, your own, you know, stake in what happened. It was not just go to work and put in your time and then go home and you earn a salary. Wow. And then maybe you get pennies from heaven, you know, as a bonus. Right. Instead, this company really, you know, aligned the employees' incentives and really, you know, motivated everyone to work in the same direction. And so I was intrigued enough by what I saw from an entrepreneurial perspective that I jumped on board. Wow. And so that's really um, a turning point for me. And the lessons I learned there are some that I carry over today. Mm. Now, did they recruit you as an engineer? What position were they trying to fill? Yes. Yeah, so they were looking for for someone to run the reservoir engineering side of the company at that time, and so I came on board, got to work um, with the founder, who is a, a self-made billionaire here in Houston, and wow. and with his executive team immediately. And I, I had really the most incredible mentor, who you know was very aggressive in how he ran the company, and very you know um, uh, you know took no, uh, took no <laughs> excuses, those sorts of things. Right. And he really challenged me in, in great ways to grow as an individual and a professional. But I will say his professional bias was that everyone in the engineering department should have a master's of engineering. Well, that was never oh. my dream. And so I remember where I finally, you know, had the nerve, I approached him and said, well, 
Richard, I want to go get my MBA. Yeah. And he's like, what? And when he had interviewed me, he, he had asked me why I didn't have a master's of engineering already when I interviewed wow. for the job. And, and I said, well, that's not my vision. That's not my goal. And so, you know, a few years into my job, I said, you know, Richard, the time's now. I want to go get my MBA. Will you support this? And, wow. and he, he absolutely did. He went to bat for me. The company was very supportive. So I got my MBA while I was working. And after that, I transitioned to the other side of the company, you know, helping run the finance, investor relations, you know, strategic planning, those sorts of things. And so again, like I think of life as everything's a stepping stone, right? Like everything's an opportunity to learn. And it's not all, you know, the good things that you learn from, like you learn from the good, you learn from the bad, you learn from the wins, you learn from the losses. And if you take the chance to really look at all that is just simply collecting information and collecting data, you know, here's the engineering. Oh, yes. Then you can, you can compile all that information and ultimately craft the life you want, right? Mm. From a personal and perspective and professional perspective, I should say. Right. So, so really nothing is ever lost. And so all that to say, I kept learning and, in you know, it's not just that I was passively, you know, there and, and observing and learning things. I mean, I had a successful, lucrative career. I mean, right. by all outside accounts, especially, you know, you would be like, wow, this, this girl's killing it. And I was, and I, and I enjoyed many parts of it. But at the end of the day, I knew that I was not passionate about the energy industry. Mm. And thankfully, because of the way this company was uh, run, and because I had ownership of the company, you know, albeit a you know small stake, right. but we had made some you know great leaps and and grown while I was there. We had made some very you know big transactions. I had the you know ultimate luxury of walking away and quote unquote retiring um, wow. about seven years ago. So I was thirty seven or thirty eight at the time, wow. and I retired without knowing what was next. And so really, that was in my mind, you know, the ultimate betting on myself. Right. And, and I don't take that privilege um, lightly. And it, mm. like I said, it only came because of the transformative power of, you know, earning more than just a salary where I was. And so that allowed me the, the luxury of saying, I don't know what's next, but I know that I can make that happen. And wow. it's going to be something it, I had two criteria by which I was filtering, you know, future opportunities. I wanted it to a be something that was entrepreneurial in nature. Like I really got that bug when I was working, you know, at this uh, other company for 13 years. I, I really was so inspired and engaged um, by that part of the business. I knew that I wanted, you know, to to keep doing something along those lines. But I also wanted it to be in, a, in an arena which was fulfilling to me, mm. something that I felt more passionate about, something I felt would make a difference, leave a legacy, you know, however you want to phrase it, but something that, that really resonated with me as a person um, more so than, than what I had done in the past. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, right off the bat, there's there so many things. I'm I'm so excited to, to, of course, continue on and to hear about stepping into, yeah, wow, everything that you do now. But I, I want to ask you something because I find it really interesting, you know, thinking about you and thinking about this kind of, we're, we've chatted about both sides of the brain and it sounds like your brain is just amazing because I think it's equal <laughs> on both sides. But, but I'm thinking about you and I'm thinking about you being an engineer. And as you said, you could have continued on, you know, working and walking over to your job and and staying in a, you know, really great role. Um, And I think a lot of my listeners would, you know, agree with that. They could think of, you know, their own current position and think, yeah, I could, I could do this until I retire. I, I could just continue on here. And you've touched on a little bit, but what specifically would you say pulled you to think of of doing more with your mm-hmm. life, with, with with just everything about you? What was it that pulled you to more? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think it comes down to just that inner drive and motivation and ambition. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not that I was surrounded by, you know, examples of that necessarily, but I just wanted to you know, better myself. I wanted to create the best future for myself that I could. And it's not about being comfortable, rather it's about pushing yourself. Right. And so, you know, ultimately when I was looking five years into my career at changing companies, that was a big thing, right? Like you, you're going to change your lifestyle. You're going to change, you know, your, uh, you know, your compensation, you're going to change kind of the risk profile of your, your life, right? Like 
you know, a lot of these um, opportunities that have upside, they also carry with it more risk, Mm. right? So at some point, you have to balance out the risk reward profile that you're comfortable with. And for me, uh, you know, of course, like, I I wouldn't have do this right away. And I I wasn't one of those overnight successes, or I wasn't someone who found their calling at age 20. But in at different increments, I can point to where I I said, it's time to bet on myself. And that could be walking away from that, you know, kind of big corporate life to this more entrepreneurial company that ultimately grew and is still a great company just had kind of grown, you know, beyond my preference Mm. to then ultimately walking away and saying, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I know I know in my heart that I can create the life that I want to live, something that I'll be proud of, something that will be a legacy and something that will be meaningful and fulfilling for me. Something that brings all my experiences together, you know, to really put me in my professional sweet spot. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, you just said something that really, really is hitting me and I wrote it down. Time to bet on myself. And and that's that's kind of where we're at in your story. So tell us a little yeah. bit about retiring. At, you know, you could have retired <laughs> at 37 and you're thinking about that, but it feels like that that pull and that desire to to continue on was there. So tell us about what it looked like to have the opportunity to retire and then lo and behold, nope, not ready to do that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, when I, I say retire, I kind of say it joking. I certainly didn't have, you know, um, you know, rest of life sort of uh, <laughs> yes. money, but I did have enough to to walk away and take some time. Um, yeah. And so one point that I'll make is I think really um, where you start to transform your life financially and, and gain the sense of independence and freedom is when you stop trading time for money, right? So whether that's working an hourly job or having a salary, I would really challenge everyone to look at how can you scale yourself, right? There's only so much of yourself that can go around. So you have to get to a point where you're doing more than trading, you know, pieces of your life for, you know, chunks of money. So for me, again, I go back to, you know, everything that I kind of learned from the founder of, of the entrepreneurial energy company I worked at and, and really having a stake of ownership in something, having equity can really be transformative. And so of course that's not going to, to be an opportunity that's offered to everyone or that presents itself, but think about what you're doing and how you can, you know, kind of get out of that rut of trading hours for, for dollars. Wow. Because that's, that's when things can really scale and grow. And so going back to that betting on myself um, thing, I walked away and I didn't know what was next. And I sat in a lot of boardrooms. I met with a lot of friends and I contemplated a lot of different options. So a lot of my friends who had worked at the same company with me, it turns out a, a handful of us had left around the same time um, just because we had all started when the company was smaller. And when it gets to be thousands of employees, you know, it's not necessarily the right fit for everyone. And and I had a lot of friends who wanted to start an oil and gas company together. And, you know, I thought about that. Um, There's a lot of money to be made there potentially. Um, and that would have gotten me back to, you know, my first criteria, which was something smaller and entrepreneurial in nature. But I had to stop myself and say, wait, but that doesn't achieve your second objective, Carrie. That doesn't get you doing something that you're more passionate about, something that's more personally fulfilling to you as an individual. So I kind of had to say no to a lot of good opportunities that would have been more in my comfort zone in terms of being something I was familiar with. Okay, so I said no to things. And in the meantime, I was having a lot of fun. I was traveling a lot. This was pre-kids. I was Uh very into fashion. And so I was going to a lot of fashion shows in New York Uh and London and traveling, you know, all over the place, all over the world. And so I was documenting this and I had a little blog and a little Instagram. Uh, In fact, side note, I was on Instagram the day it launched. And so that's why I have at Carrie C. Oh um, my God. The week it launched, maybe it was like second or third day. But anyway, so I've been sharing photos forever and, um, you know, very organically, you know, started getting, you know, some followers through that. And, you know, it was just natural. I was never, you know, a quote unquote blogger or influencer, you know, for the sake of, you know, doing that, you know, as a career, but rather I was very intrigued by the way that businesses were starting to, you know, use social media to build their businesses, to market their products. So I was always interested in it from a business perspective, how the influencer world was going to, you know, really impact the way businesses, you know, conducted their marketing in this new world. And so for me, it was kind of like, let me play in the space to 
to learn about it from a business perspective. But in another um, serendipitous, you know, moment, that is how I started connecting with female founders. And so as I'm saying no to all these things I wasn't passionate about, um, you know, I I was on Instagram, connecting with founders in my DMs, um, you know, just naturally like, hey, I'm a customer of your company, or, you know, they would reach out and say, you know, hey, you know, very, I'm very creative in nature, I've got this business, but I'm facing this challenge. And I don't really have the skill set to tackle it. Would you mind if we talk about X, Y, or Z. And, you know, so just very naturally started forming some relationships and, you know, would speak at conferences here or there. And, you know, with my business background, um, financial background, strategy, all that sort of stuff, I started learning very quickly that, you know, just applying some of those same lessons and same skills that I had um, developed in a totally different industry, but applying those to some of these small businesses was very gratifying, right? Because I saw how quickly and how effectively it could help some of these founders scale their businesses. Wow. And so long story short, I started investing my own money into female founders and did so for, um, gosh, five or six years before I ultimately was receiving so much incredible deal flow from female founders. You know, so many great opportunities to invest in businesses that it only made sense for us to launch a fund. So I, I jokingly say that I'm an accidental venture capitalist this was never on my checklist of life goals. It was never on my, you know, career, um, you know, goal sheet or whatever. I, it was never anywhere on my radar. Yet here we are. Um, but it was just driven by, you know, the the passion and fulfillment and fun that I was having professionally investing in these great businesses. You know, by and large, female founded businesses are underfunded. Yet they're overperforming. And here I was developing this inside track, so to speak, with founders. And so, you know, that's just led to incredible opportunities. We've got, you know, great results from the five or six years I was investing my money. And now we're just parlaying that into a, a bigger, you know, fund so we can do more of that. Oh, my God. Well, to think about, I mean, I, I'm blown away. I, I, and I'm one of those who remembers the, the beautiful photos that you're putting out and, and to hear that, you know, on the, the inside scoop of, of you sharing on social was really you connecting with these founders and then ultimately putting your own money in. I would love to know, and I'm sure listeners are curious, what did that first conversation with a founder look like? And how did you know, maybe, I mean, I guess your background with your MBA, but how did you know even how much money to give? How did you offer that? What did that look like? Sure, sure. So I'll give you a specific example. This was the first uh, founder that I invested in. um, And I have to say, she's also, um, you know, the the most successful investment to date. And she's just killing it. And I I consider her like a a little sister now. We're very close. And that's Jordan Jones, who started Packed Party, a company based in Austin. So Packed Party uh, started out as, you know, think of it as, you know, party goods in a box that you could send to someone. And now has evolved into this huge, you know, lifestyle uh, uh, products aimed at millennial females, right? And so she's killing it on the shelves of Walmart and, you know, Gosh. Whole Foods and, and everywhere. Um, but when I invested in, in Jordan, well, I should back up. When we first connected, she knew that I was going to Austin for some um, meetings at UT. I must have posted about it or something. And she said, you know, I'm facing this challenge. You know, could we get coffee? And so I remember we got together at Joe's Coffee on 6th Street, or not 6th Street, um, South Congress. Not that uh, matters, but I'm, yes. I'm picturing it. Yes. And we were supposed to meet at 4, and she showed up a little bit late, and she, <laughs> she would tell the story the same way. So I'm not saying anything <laughs> bad about her. She showed up late with her hair in a ponytail and then, you know, workout sort of clothes and, and you know, very frazzled. And we sat down and talked. And, you know... I knew right away, like, Jordan is a hustler, like come hell or high water, she is going to make that business successful. And, um, you know, she wasn't looking for an investment then. She just wanted someone to talk to and bounce ideas off of uh, for a specific dilemma she was facing in terms of, you know, growing her companies. And so, you know, really, that's what I find works best for me is when I meet people, not when they're looking for something, you know, not when they're raising money specifically, like, hey, let's connect today. Let me present to you and, and tell me that you're going to give me money tomorrow. Right. But really forming these relationships over time. And then you've already got that groundwork. And so then when they are ready to raise money or, you know, when they are looking to 
know, grow the business. I'm there to answer that call. And we already have that foundation of trust and respect and knowledge of one another from a business standpoint. And so really, those are the most successful investments that I've made, not the cold call ones, right. you know, where it's just like, you know, at a pitch competition, or it's just, you know, you show up in my inbox. So I would really encourage people to think of networking you know, it's no longer just the old days of going to a cocktail party and exchanging business cards. And networking on social media is not just LinkedIn. Networking is wherever your people are, whether, you know, you're looking for customers or, you know, whatever. It Just be wherever your people are. And that is networking. And so one thing that I, um, I think has worked really well for me um, coming into the venture capital space is that I am a total outsider. And so I'm not necessarily influenced by some of the traditional ways of doing business or the the norms uh, of the industry. For instance, I didn't even know this until I got into the business, but there are tons of, of venture capital investors on Twitter. I mean, you go there, it's it's practically an echo chamber. And I'm sure there are good ideas being shared. And I go on and you know read every once in a while, but I'm not a big tweeter. Yeah. Is that what you say? I don't yeah. even know. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big <laughs> <Me> tweeter, <neither. laughs> but I'm a big Instagrammer. Yes. And, you know, as far as I know, you know, I'm the only venture capitalist kind of building a business on Instagram. Right. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Not only, Emily, am I connecting with founders on Instagram, but surprisingly to me, a huge percentage of my investors have come from Instagram. And that is just really a testament to the power of women. Okay. So side note, I'll tell you a a short story about fundraising. Okay. So, so usually, um, again, as an accidental venture capitalist, I (laughs) want to like help everyone understand what it is because it's not this like black box that only a privileged few, you know, old guys should understand. Yes. Venture capital is not that complicated, but um, I've never been like a salesy fundraising sort of person. And so that's been the biggest, you know, learning curve for me in this, this realm. And okay. But the way most venture capital works, they go out and raise their fund. Maybe it's 10 million, 50 million, a hundred million, but they go raise a bucket of money, if you will. And then they go look for places to invest that money. So it's what's known as a blind pool, right? Like when you give your money to someone, you don't really know where they're going to invest it, you know, kind of their, their investment thesis, you know, what they're looking for, but you don't know specific companies. Well, in my instance, it's a little opposite uh, because it's been driven by so many great founders approaching me and having so many great opportunities. That's when I said, oh, heck, we need to raise a fund so that we can support all of these great ideas. And so in my case, I thought, well, we'll just do a small relatively speaking in the venture capital world, $10 million fund, you know, I'll just go out to, you know, guy number one, and you know, man number two, from my, you know, oil and gas days, and we'll just get half a million here, a million here, and, and we'll just really raise this fund really quickly. Well, I have to tell you, it's been a good learning exercise for me, because I face some of the same challenges that my founders face in raising money. So, you know, especially, you know, here in Houston, and in my background, one, venture capital isn't necessarily, you know, super well understood and adopted, um, even among, you know, kind of high net worth individuals here. And then the other thing is when you say you're, you're female focused, they kind of think, oh gosh, what has happened to Carrie? Has she gone off the deep end? Is this charity? <laughs> is this philanthropy? Is oh, this political? Wow. Is this, is, is she some, you know, feminist? I mean, wow. gosh, whatever, yes. whatever label you want to right. apply. I'm not applying those labels. I'm, I'm exactly the labels that I've, I've heard applied to me. And my counter to that is, no, this simply makes good business sense. And I go back to that story I told you, Emily, about how I looked at what I wanted to do next with my life. And of course, I wanted to be fulfilling, but I also wanted to maximize the, the money I would make yes. now in, in you know, retirement or whatever. And for me, given the connections I have in this space and given the you know, uh, I- incredible opportunities presenting themselves, it just made good business sense, right? And mm. so that's what I'm out there preaching. I mean, do I think it's important that, that female-founded businesses get less than 3% of all venture capital dollars? Yes. But I'm also on a mission to say that we're not just out there trying to right or wrong. We're out there trying to make good investment decisions. And, yes. you know, really today, there's an arbitrage opportunity to 
get your dollars into female founded businesses because, you know, by and large, they're underfunded yet over delivering. Wow. Well, and you just said something, everything you're saying, I'm just like, ah, listener, I know you are enjoying (laughs) hearing everything that Carrie's sharing, especially as you're getting into the nitty gritty of how you began. But you just shared something that I think is key. And I love kind of the examples of some of the hesitation you might receive from from, uh, folks that you're looking to to come on and to help and and invest. Um, But what you just shared, you're not out to not just right or wrong. I love that. It's not like you're going in guns blazing and saying, we're here to right or wrong. It's like, no, this is good business. Women are making money and they're doing amazing things with their businesses, period. This is good business, period. And I love that you just highlighted that so eloquently. So I just had to kind of reiterate that because I think that's key. And I think that's what my listeners are after too. Many of you guys who are listening, you're founders, you have businesses and and perhaps they're small currently, but you have big dreams for them. And I think that's really where Carrie comes in and recognizes like, okay, this is, we're onto something here. Um, And I love too, what you were sharing about your, your update with Jordan and really recognizing like, okay, I want to invest in this. Can you tell us when you step into an investment relationship, what does that look like? Are you saying, hey, I am now a certain percentage of an owner or are there other ways that, that your investments come back to you? Maybe share a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. I'll just give you a real high overview of how VC works, if that's okay, because it was not super transparent to me when I entered. Um, So whether we're talking about angel investing or VC, it kind of works the same in terms of as an investor, I invest money into your business and in in turn, I get equity in your business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all of that is up for debate and negotiation on, you know, how much dollars equals how much equity. But, you know, you'll have a valuation in mind. I might have one in mind. And we come to some middle ground in most cases. So I'm just going to throw something out there. So maybe I give you $500,000 and we agree your business is worth $5 million today. And so, you know, then I own 10% of your company. Wow, yeah. However, I don't make any money until you ultimately sell your company Ah. in most cases. So whether that's an IPO or say you grow the company a bunch and bunch and bunch, and then you sell to a, um, a bigger company. So, you know, a big box retailer might, might want to buy up, uh, if you're a consumer products company, a big company like Walmart or Target or, um, a big manufacturer might ultimately want to buy your company, um, in, in other cases, we're in a medical device uh, company. And so they're developing the device now. They're in clinical trials and we'll be submitting for FDA approval. But ultimately, the idea is to sell that to you know a, a medical device you know, conglomerate, a big corporation that does that sort of thing. So, so when I invest in a business as a, a venture capitalist, I have to think from the beginning, what is the exit strategy? Now, on the flip side of that, I don't want a, a founder who's just building a business to flip it, right? Like wow. that's not yeah. as well. Like I want someone who is passionate about their business. And what I what I look for in a founder, three things, if, if you're making a pitch deck, I always want to know what problem are you trying to solve? How are you going to solve it? And why are you the person to solve it? And that's really, you know, gets into the founder centric nature of this. Like, why are you the best person to solve this problem? And so, you know, you've really got to have some sort of passionate tie into, you know, what you're doing and how you're, you're doing it, um, especially in the early stages. I mean, you're betting on the founder as much as the company itself. And so back to how venture capital works. So I invest in dollars today. Um, you know, Jordan goes out and she's growing pack party, for instance, and, you know, maybe it's over five years or seven years or 10 years, she's growing it. And then ultimately, you know, the end of the road would be she IPOs the company, meaning it goes public on a stock exchange, or she sells the company. And that's when I as an investor make my return. Mm-hmm. So back to my example, if I invested in a company at $5 million, you know, maybe we ultimately sell it for $50 million or, you know, some companies, it, it's all a relative scale, right? So some companies may be billion dollar companies that we're invested in. Others, though, don't have to be. I'm not looking for every company to be a billion dollar company. It depends, you know, where it was when we started and kind of the return I'm looking for to know kind of, hey, can it ultimately scale this much to make it worth, you know, the return that I need for my investor? Mm. 
well, everything is just, and this is kind of one of those moments, pause and rewind you guys. Cause I'm over here taking notes <laughs> and she just talked about the key things in a pitch deck. I mean, you guys, this is really good stuff. And I'm already thinking, Carrie, I'm going to need a part, you know, two and three with you. Cause this is okay, good, good. too I'm much fun. It. Oh my gosh. But, oh, thank but you. well, it's so impressive and it's so cool how you're able to break it down. And again, kind of even going back to, to your story and then even where we're at currently with it, you were able to step in and, and begin this this process. Tell us this, how soon after Jordan are you just, have you caught the bug to, to keep finding founders or, or was it a continual slow kind of networking and connection uh, for you to begin to build that? Yep. A little of both. Um, so I definitely caught the bug from her. Um, she's an infectious personality and, you know, just so tenacious and, and determined. Um, you know, I knew she was going to be a winner. Um, I remember, you know, really, wringing my hands and stressing. And I was so nervous about investing in her, not because of her or the company, but just because it was such a big percentage of my net worth at the time. I was just like, I, I'm nervous, but I know that you're going to knock down every door possible to make this happen. Right. So, and, and I still think of that. I mean, even though it's, you know, a, a conglomerate of my money and other people's money at this point, you know, I still, you know, I, I wrestle very hard with investment decisions, but it's the founders. If you know that they're not going to give up until they make this work, that's, you know, really uh, comforting and reassuring as a investor. And so, yeah. So, uh, Remind me, where were we going with that? Sorry, yeah, I'm talking, no, no, it's uh, hey, no. I'm loving so much it. to say. I know from from there. I mean, you you start, you get that bug. What yes, did yes. It, yeah, what did it look like to add on to your resume, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, so you know, clearly, I I mean, I didn't have unlimited funds, but but I went all in and, and basically invested, you know, everything that I had made in my previous career wow. into businesses. I had a, a handful of companies in that you know first portfolio, you know, of my uh, own fund, if you will. Um, so just took care of that for about five years, you know, kind of watched that grow, you know, invested over time in those, did some follow-on investments. And then it was just like, wow, you know, there are too many opportunities. I don't want to miss these opportunities. These businesses need funding. And so that's when um, uh, Mark and I decided together, like we need to look into to getting into venture capital to forming a fund. And wow. you know, at that point, I knew not very much about it. Um, thankfully, we live in a, a world today where I can Google a lot of questions and I can connect with experts and I can you know, just ask a lot of questions. And so it's been a huge learning curve for us. We decided in December 2019 um, to do this. We got one deal that was just so incredible. I said, I, I can't pass this up. Wow. Um, we need to raise some money. And so we spent then the first couple months of 2020 getting all of our ducks in a row, you know, from a legal standpoint and a accounting and reporting standpoint, you know, making sure that logistically we were all set to launch in proper form. And then, of course, the world changed in 2020. And yeah. so we put... Um, plans on hold. Uh, you know, we figured as a first time fundraiser, I didn't need to go knocking on the doors of people saying, yeah, I know we're in the middle of pandemic, but give me money. Right. <laughs> um, you know, so that did not seem like the good thing to do. So we put fundraising plans on hold, still kept looking at some opportunities and, you know, making a, a few investments out of pocket as we were able. And then really at the beginning of this year, 2021 is when we launched in earnest mm. um, with our fundraising and marketing efforts. And so I'm super proud to say that we will have essentially both raised $10 million this year and also invested that back into female founders all basically in one calendar year. Oh I also my. had a baby on New Year's Eve. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been a busy year. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. And you guys, I mentioned this earlier, but do keep in mind, Carrie is a wife and a mother of two <laughs> as she's sharing all of these impressive updates and to think of the year that you've had and gosh, to think of what you have coming up. So, so Curate Capital, it was originally launched. Are you saying in 2021, early 2021? Mm -hmm. the, yeah. Oh my, see, I did, mm -hmm. oh my Carrie, yeah. I didn't even realize that. So that is yes. beyond. I mean, to yeah. think about what you guys have done and to see, I mean, this is just the very, very beginning and listeners, you can hear I'm getting pumped up, but this is really just the beginning of all that, that Carrie's doing and what her team at Curate Capital's doing. Um, wow. I mean, to think of, of what you've done, I, I think 
think this is a great kind of pause moment. This is a question that I love to ask guests um, because listeners are always eager to hear and and knowing your story and even knowing the past, gosh, really two years. um, I'd love to ask, what is perhaps the greatest lesson that you have learned? Oh, such a good question. I I love listening to other people's answers to this when you ask them. (laughs) (laughs) In uh, my mind, I mean, this is going to sound very cliche and cheesy, but but truly we're better together, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of lip service um, paid to, you know, girl boss and women supporting women. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, um, you know, that's more lip service than actual, you know, actions. But truly, you know, from a very practical standpoint, you know, what you know um, in terms of your skills and expertise or who you know in your network, that combined with someone else really does, you know, multiply the effect, not just add the effect. So, you know, it's kind of like one plus one equals three, although it's really like one plus one equals 10. And so when I add my you know, knowledge and power and, you know, all that stuff, my network, my connections, when I add that to someone else's, it really can accelerate uh, the success of uh, where that founder is going. It can really, you know, get us all to where we want to go together more Mm. quickly, you know, by far than if we did it alone. And so, you know, I would say that like early on in my career, I, I definitely um, probably had a little, you know, ego wrapped up in myself um, (laughs) in terms of, you know, graduating at the top of my class, I'm smart, I don't need, you know, all these support systems Mm. or women's organizations or all this. Mm. You know, I think early on in my engineering career, you know, I, I thought my skills would stand on their own. Like, you know, I don't need support. But it's really as you progress through your career and, and mature some that you realize, you know, that you do need those connections, you do need those relationships. And so anyone would be wise to to foster those relationships now because, you know, if you don't, it's hard to go form them when you need them. It's much better to form those, you know, relationships mm-hmm. and, and your reputation and your um, network when you don't need it. And then when you do need it, mm-hmm. they're there for you. So better together is is really our our mantra, and it's not just a cheesy you know cliche. It's yeah. it's truly how we try to operate, and and that's you know what we try to bring to our companies. We've been so wonderfully pleased with how our founders have reacted to the culture that we're building, and mm. and that's one of you know collaboration over competition, and you know for us at Curate. We don't invest in just one industry, but rather, um, you know, I like to say that we're industry agnostic, but rather we're looking for the best businesses being built by women for women. So Mm. I don't really care what industry that is, but we want businesses that are solving the pain points of the, the female consumer. And what we've been, you know, so proud of is how you know, even during this year where we haven't even gotten together in purpose in person yet, our founders are really, you know, collaborating and cross pollinating and sharing ideas with one another um, and in building that, you know, culture of, you know, hey, rising tides lift all ships. We're all going to do mm. better when one person does better. Mm. And so I'm also excited that I'm, I'm building out an advisory board that's full of ah. people that have invested their hard earned dollars with us but they also are willing to help these founders out. And so mm-hmm. these are, you know, women who have built successful companies and have, you know, really, you know, done a lot of great things and have a lot of expertise. And now they're willing to use that to help others. And so not only putting, you know, their money where their mouth is, but putting their time and talents there as well. So, you know, I'm very proud to say that, you know, the majority of our, um, investment dollars will come from women, mm. not just the majority of our investors will be women, but the majority of our dollars will come from women. And, you know, that's really a, a great you know, storyline that I, I look forward to telling even more. Like I mentioned to you, so many dollars have come from Instagram. Mm. So many dollars have come from, you know, former coworkers of mine, but just women saying, yeah, I get it. I get the problem you're addressing. I get the, you know, kind of niche that you're feeling filling. And I want to be a part of that. Mm. And so, um, I also have to turn the spotlight on our founders real quickly and just tell you that Please. we are beyond, you know, grateful and honored to be working with what I believe are, are really some of the top notch founders in the country. So wow. as a as a first time fund, we have two founders who were Forbes 30 under 30 awards recipients, one founder who was on entrepreneurs list of 100 best women uh-huh. uh, in business last year. And then one founder who Fortune Magazine named her one of the world's 25 best leaders last year. And so I'm just humbled and honored every day to get to work with such incredible women, Mm. not just incredible business women, but just great humans all around. 
Uh, I, I, I think that if you guys are playing a game with this podcast, just go ahead and tally how many times I've said, wow, because that's pretty <laughs> much the only word that is coming to mind when you're done talking is well, wow. Thank you. I mean, Carrie, this is, this is so impressive and you have so much coming up and to hear kind of the, the lesson that you would share with us. There's just so many moments, again, another pause and rewind listener. If you weren't taking notes, you're going to have to listen to this episode two times through because this is just such good stuff. And, and we've, we've been able to cover years of your career. And then even more recently, the past few to, to be able to hear what you're up to. It's, it's wow. I mean, it's really impressive. Uh, and, and I'd love to know too, with all of the, the different entities that we've kind of discussed and even being able to land on your, your founders, is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to? Well, certainly. I mean, we've covered a lot of ground. I will just say that we are indeed trying to close out our fundraising. So if you've ever thought about investing um, in female founders or in venture capital or just curious, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to explain more. We are still constrained by, you know, a few rules and regulations in our country that we have to operate within. But another thing that I'm really excited about is in early 22, um, we will hopefully be able to announce a, a new partnership that will allow, you know, anyone at any level to invest uh, with us in, in a, a new capacity that's that's currently not available. So oh. we're, we're working within the rules uh, as the, the government deals them. But, but we've got something, you know, exciting coming in the new year where, you know, I, I'm looking forward to bringing every person along, you know, even if it's $100 or $200, I want people to come along just for the learning experience of it all. Yeah. And then for now, even if you're not um, able to to join as a you know limited partner investor with kind of the the regulations that we have and kind of who we can take on and, and whatnot, you know, join our, our newsletter. So I send out a, a weekly newsletter called the Thursday Three. That's just you know three things that I'm highlighting every week and that are making us smile, uh, so to speak. So good news from our portfolio companies, and um, we are currently updating our branding and we'll be relaunching our website within the next few weeks. Oh. But if you go to the website now, you can enter your email address and just um, you know sign up for the newsletter. And I think that's the best part of this is you know I'm committed to being very transparent with how we operate and I want to share the the knowledge and the lessons learned with everyone, yeah. not just our investors, certainly with our investors, but, you know, join, join the community so you can learn and be a part of, you know, the great work that these women are doing. Oh, yes. And listener, I know you're excited. I'm ready to go sign up for that newsletter. I am not yet. No, and I will be, I will be doing that when we are done with this call because I am totally sold and so excited about all that's next for you. Uh, and I know too, even given your, your founders and just the theme of networking throughout your life. Life and career. I, I believe that's something that seems to come really natural for you. You're good at it. Um, and it ties in with just a question I always love to ask, who do you know that should maybe come on and share their story? Well, I would certainly you know, nominate any of, and all of our founders, yes. but especially given that we've talked about her so much, I have to go with uh, Jordan Jones from Pack Party. You really need to chat with her. You would just be delighted at the conversation you would have. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you. You all will have to be on the lookout for a potential episode with Jordan being able to highlight her story. And Carrie, I know many of my listeners are familiar with you and perhaps you guys already follow Carrie and have seen what she's up to, but you tell us. Where can listeners connect with you? On Instagram is the best social media platform for me. And my username is just at Carrie C. Now, I also have our Curate Capital website and Instagram, which, you know, have both been uh, a bit dormant, but we'll be relaunching soon with what I think is super cool branding. Um, so all of that is just curate.capital both the website and Instagram. So I look forward to, to connecting with more of your listeners and uh, just keep up the great work, Emily. You're really good at what you are doing. And I've so enjoyed the stories you've told thus far and look forward to so many more. Oh, well, thank you. And likewise, I'm eager to, to hear, to continue to follow what you're doing, but perhaps find out some more investing options. So I'm excited. And again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you all for listening to today's episode of How'd She Do That? I am Emily Landers. You can follow me on Instagram at Emily Landers and the podcast at How'd She Do That Podcast. We hope you'll join us next Tuesday for a new episode. We will talk to you soon.